Welcome to the very first episode of Explore Life, One Life Limitless Stories. I'm Greg Dean, I'm your host, and I'm looking forward to bringing you an ongoing podcast series. At Explore Life, we work on positive self-development and accountability for our own personal actions to create an adventurous, risk-taking life guided by good intentions. If you want to see some Explore Life video content, go to YouTube and look up Explore Life Films. And remember to click subscribe. We're going to interview some people who have created amazing success from their previous tragedy. People experiencing an awakening from their previous brainwashing and those working to make powerful, positive changes in the world around them. Consider the following and we will be balanced in our numbers. This is a realization I had. The average life expectancy is 80 years. For the first 18 years of your life, you are under the guidance and control of your parents, teachers, and government, with the restrictions of your development around how much your parents earn and what education they expose you to. With thousands of languages that are available to learn, most people only speak one. So this gives you 62 years to really live your life. But wait. From age 18 to 21, you complete university study and get into debt to pay for your course. Now you are down to 59 years. From age 21, you enter the workforce full-time with the average retirement age of 65. That means that 44 more years of your life has been taken away. When you retire, from age 65 to 80, you have 15 years left. But how much energy do you have left to do all that you ever dreamed? Did you find time before retirement? Or were your dreams too large for your situation? Now, let's return to work life. From the 44 years you spend in the workforce, you are given, on average, four weeks holiday per year. Four weeks per year for 44 years. That is 176 weeks of 44 years. A total of four years in a 44-year period to complete all of your goals. Now, in that time of 44 years, you likely got into debt, you found love, you bought a home, you got married, you had kids, meaning that all of your goals can be pushed aside for the priorities of others. And even then, you might lose it all in a divorce and you have to start all over again. Understanding the fundamental fact that life is so fleeting and impermanent there is a risk of becoming lazy, apathetic, and nihilistic. Or you have the fundamental ability to become aware of the situation and take control. That can require letting go of what you knew, and it will mean you need to take accountability as an adult for pushing aside your indoctrination from birth into learned helplessness and taking control of your integrity, compassion, and empathy. Through my own trials and tribulations, I have learned and confirmed a fundamental rule. When you cause others suffering, you in turn cause your own suffering. Be a bully and you will be bullied. Or you will feel alone later. Step on others on the way up and there will be nobody to celebrate your success and people will likely smile at your downfall. And notice I didn't say other people. I said others. Who were the others? We will explore that further in Explore Life. I am far from perfect, and I generally shy away from being on camera because I prefer to show the work of others and learn along the way. I'm not fame hungry, but I do have this compulsion to create in my way and put that out there. 
That includes creating video content and this podcast series. I've written some books and have written and voiced audiobooks, yet I still have preferred to have some form of low-key anonymity. For me, anyway, striving for fame can take us off the path to where we really want to be. But sharing content and standing out from the crowd at times, to me, seems to be much more balanced and forgiving. And so while I will be able to share some of my experiences of falling down and getting back up again, and then taking full control, creating a plan, pursuing that plan, and having that plan come to fruition, I want to bring you people who I respect and admire, who are making the most of this short life, even if it possibly meant nothing in the end, to them and those around them, they made a massive positive difference and will look back with very few regrets at the end. So before I introduce my first guest, if you are open to change and looking in the mirror at your own opinions and belief systems, I want to ask you if you are consistent in your values. Most people believe they are. I love a good debate and I have quickly found so many holes in the logic of those I debate with that it quickly becomes confusing. And for me, anyway, this becomes a huge indicator as to why they are in their current situation, whatever that might be, or why they are not able to achieve everything they want to achieve, or have just given up and have accepted the situation. So during this podcast series, you might get triggered by opinions that are not your own opinions. I'm going to be introducing you to some people who save animals from your personal buying choices. I'm going to introduce you to entrepreneurs that challenge the way you think about money. And if you switch off, so be it. You are accountable for your own life and can choose what content you watch and listen to. And if this podcast is boring and it flops, that's on me. And if you stay, then thank you. We will delve into what it takes to be consistent in our values to create success, even in our weakest moments, provided our values do not crack under pressure, whether it is with our do no harm to others, health, wealth, job loss, career loss, loss of friendships or relationships. Some of our guests will have some raw, unfiltered human opinions. But look underneath at their intention and how you can integrate that into your own situation. Are you ready to do this? Then let's go. Let me introduce you to James, a man that I have known for many years and I am honoured to have as my very first guest. He is a man who lost it all and slowly rebuilt his life step by step by leaving his entire life behind and taking a bold risk abroad in a career where he had no previous experience in a country where he had no understanding of the language. Welcome James. You're based in Vietnam. What part of Vietnam are you in? Okay, I'm based in Vietnam and um, I'm about one hour outside of Ho Chi Minh City, which used to be named Saigon, but now it's called Ho Chi Minh City. So I'm in the south, south of Vietnam, uh, one hour out. Yeah, so you're a teacher over there? Yes, yes, I am a teacher. I've been teaching uh, in Vietnam for pretty much the whole time since I got here. So I'm coming up to seven years. It's almost like that movie. You ever see that movie Seven Years in Tibet? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, seven years in Nam. <laughs> it's been a quite a ride for you, though, just yeah, to get it there. Has. It has definitely. How do you go from uh, a situation like that, where you've spent your life in one uh, 
you know, one career essentially, and you completely pivot and travel to a country you've never been to before that you do not speak the language and uh, fall into a career that you'd never considered before in your entire life. Well, to be fair, it was it was a build up of many things. I mean, obviously, when I was when I started out, I finished high school and I had a I had a job in computers. Information technology was really starting to take off with the birth of the internet, and it's come a long way since then. I, um, just to give you an idea of my age, uh, I graduated high school in uh, 1998, and by the early 2000s, I was working in the IT industry in Australia. Um, and as time went on, obviously, things get a little bit boring. And even though it was a fabulous career for about 13 years, uh, we got to about 2012, 2013. And by then, I'd already been studying a lot of different types of ways of making money, entrepreneurship. Uh, one of the biggest influences at the time was the four-hour work week, that book by Tim Ferriss. And when I read that book, I knew what I needed to do. But obviously, the first choice wasn't to teach English. Teaching English was kind of like a hack. But if I take it back to there, I was always trying to make money on the internet. Uh, at the time, I remember I was working for a mining company in information technology, and I had a successful eBay business at the time. And that eBay business was able to replace that income, but the challenge was that it wasn't that sustainable. Uh, things change in policies, and sometimes accounts would get shut down. I was running um, a lot of different things from China back in the day, and uh, it was very nice. But again, it just wasn't stable enough. It would get off the ground, but then it would sort of go back and forth. And then I would have to go back into the IT industry just to keep me afloat to pay the rent, pay the bills, pay the mortgage or whatever I had it going on at the time. But what I also found is that I had to keep going back to the drawing board. And I literally tried just about any kind of just about any kind of business you could think of that was uh, available to me at the time. Uh, Funnily enough, I even tried uh, something as crazy as uh, network marketing Ooh. and uh, still had some success in it. But I mean, it was probably one of the hardest businesses I ever tried. So I was always looking for something that was a little bit easier and also fun. So I started looking at other alternatives. But the way I ended up in Asia was actually just from traveling. During my time as an entrepreneur, I was successful. There were various times I was successful before having to go back into the IT industry. So I had snippets of what life could be like. And uh, I was able to travel through Asia, particularly Malaysia and Thailand before I actually got to Vietnam, um, just having fun holidays and working remotely in the what they call the the laptop lifestyle. And uh, again, not sustainable, but still was able to do a little bit of it. And I remember once I was traveling uh, to Thailand and I was having a layover in a bar in the Malaysian airport. And I met another guy that was uh, traveling to Vietnam from Brisbane. And he told me about the whole teaching English as a second language in uh, other countries outside of Australia and that the barrier to entry is very low and that you can actually make a decent or an even better income in some of these countries than you could in Australia because the cost of living was also catching up with me with inflation. So it was like a cat and mouse game 
but now I'm living in one of the cheapest countries in the world, making more money than I was making in um, the corporate world in information technology at the time. And uh, I'm able to save and put money away and work on other projects while I'm still teaching English um, as a second language out here. So let's um, break that down a little bit, okay? And we'll step back and then move forward. So uh, anybody sure. uh, who's listening to this, I want them to take away a couple of things that uh, is pr- quite universal uh, to people where people show up at just the right time when you've fallen down. Um, so if we look at your previous history, you and I have known each other for quite a few years now. Um, and it's a, it's a relationship I've respected and I've, I've really appreciated. When we look back at your previous history and the things that I knew about you, there was just got kind of some way about you that I just, I, I, I found um, uh, very endearing, you know, uh, and quite innocent in a way when I first met you. And in fact, to give you an example of that, you were afraid to travel overseas. I remember that specifically. You were afraid to travel overseas. I'd been over to Thailand, and then you said, oh, I'm not sure if I want to go over there. And you were dating somebody at the time. Uh, It fell apart. And at this time, once again, there was uh, a bit of a downfall and tragedy, and you were going through an upheaval with your career. But one of the things that compelled you to go overseas was when you started hacking the eBay system, and that was drop shipping. And um, you thought, I can do this anywhere. Let's trial it out and go to Thailand, a place you'd never been to before and you went bugger it and you actually yep. went out and um you know renewed your passport as far as i know and then you set yourself up in thailand in a place that you didn't speak the language you stayed at home in your hotel a lot of the time because you were uh quite low on funds until you could sell the products that you were you're selling but who else does that most people they stay at home you know they say well i need to stay at home but you're you're like up and running you're you know what i'm going to trial this out and see if it actually works and and you were doing the dropshipping thing, but I believe that the reason why it wasn't necessarily working is because you were under the control of somebody else's system. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, to various degrees, absolutely. It's God, when I think about it, the years that have gone by, yeah, you're absolutely right. Very humble beginnings when I started out. I mean, when I started out and I got those first jobs in in um, working with computers, I was kind of happily innocent you know it was only one after i met you and you started showing me how you were making money in different uh niches like the touring business and that you were open to travel and you'd already been to a lot of these countries before i had so yeah you were right definitely uh very innocent and naive at the time but then on top of that Maybe. when we look at the where systems failed like where it wasn't working out for you and this has been consistent across the board to people i know and uh, myself it's when you don't have yeah. control of the system and you don't have control over your own life and your own destiny and everybody else is giving you advice on what to do when they've never done it themselves yeah. when they've never done it themselves and you follow that advice it inherently fails and you're under the control of another person's system. So being the eBay system, being the PayPal system. uh, So when you want to um, sell something, then suddenly it gets blocked by PayPal or um, by eBay or via returns. And then your profit goes and it's not sustainable. 
So you're still under the control of somebody mm. else. And then if we move forward just a little bit, and I, I think we um, we can cover a, a few topics on this, is that even at your lowest moment where you just said, what do I do with my life? There you are at a bar uh, having a drink at an <laughs> airport and you're cons- contemplating life. Do I go back home to Australia? And I, I believe at this time you'd actually met up with a, um, a woman over in Malaysia that had um, uh, ghosted you if I, or she, she played you a bit. And you were, if, if, if I'm right, and this is, you're like, what do I do with my life? Everything is so frustrating. I can't control my relationships. I can't control the, the finances. And it's like this um, Morgan Freeman-style character that just, <laughs> you know, just, hey, how are you? You know, just um, taps you on the shoulder. You know, this is God speaking. And he's, uh, you've got this guy who just happens to be there. Maybe he's just, I, I'm not religious, you know, but it's, um, you know, some kind of angel there. And he just says, hey, I'm, uh, I've got a deal going on. I'm teaching English over in these uh, countries. And in your head, you're thinking, I don't have a degree in teaching. And he says, well, they absolutely need teachers over in uh, Vietnam and it's uh, a booming industry. And suddenly everything changes again. Yeah. I mean, one door opens, another one closes. But it's at the time when you're at your, your lowest moment that something appears. So anybody who's at their lowest moment, some people just give up. Some people have taken their lives because of their lowest moment and not knowing a way out. But it's a moment of, of waiting and reflecting and then something happens, something shows up on your computer screen, on your social media, or in your circumstance, you're at a bar having a drink and somebody has a conversation with you that you'd never expect before. You're already in Asia yeah. trying to figure out your next move, how to get out of Australia and, uh, you know, and what to do with your next career. And some guy starts talking to you and tells you, the, you know, what's happening and it sticks in your head. Every time I've ever been down and out, there's always been a way out. So I, I, if anyone's listening to this and like in that kind of spot, one thing I can definitely say to them is like the moment that you hit bottom, there's always a door out. So you don't need to go and do something crazy. Um, I've had friends that have been on the edge before and yeah, it's a frightening scenario and you can get some really strange things going on in your brain. But I mean, one thing that I've realized now is that like just with the recent shutdown with coronavirus is that I said, okay, let's say we don't go back to work for quite a long time and I start losing all my money and everything goes down and I'm on the verge of being homeless. Would it actually be that bad? And I had a conversation with a couple of people recently that actually were homeless for a couple of nights when they hit bottom. And they said it wasn't that bad. I just went and slept on a park bench for a couple of nights and I slowly built my life back together. I'm not saying that I got that far, but I try to picture in my mind the worst case scenario and realize that they're just ghosts. I've never gone that far, but I've I've had an experience of, you know, if if the worst case scenario was to happen, the worst your your living hell was to happen, can you still be okay with it? And if you can get to that point in your mind, I really think that things can get better, definitely. But you've got to walk through those doors. Uh, many times I've seen people where they've had an opportunity. Hey, there's an opportunity, opportunity, come on, it's time to go. And they're just so far and out that they pass on it. Let's step back a little bit to where you were in Australia on your final reset before you decided to go overseas. 
right? All right, cool. So let's so pull it back a little I'll bit. You had left, well, you were on the side of IT. You had decided to pluck up the courage and you did it so well to start a tour business, right? Yeah. And then from there, there? yes, yep. yeah, you decided to do a tour business. Yes. Right? Yes, yes, I did. Uh-huh. Yes. But then you also decided to start your own um, in uh, IT company, taking the mm-hmm. leads that were given to you by a host company. And from that, you were yep. going to be feeding that work out to your own subcontractors. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to switch from being working for someone to working for myself. So that was the plan, uh, that you have multiple people working for you under any kind of business and you just take care of the paperwork or you hire a bunch of people to take care of the office work and you just run the, the company. So my uh, method there was that I had a I had a subcontract with, a, with uh, two IT companies one was a lot better than the other. So I started to build with them first where I would actually recruit technicians for them. And then what would happen is every hour they worked that contract, I would get a percentage of their labor. And uh, then the company would disperse the money to me and I'd disperse it to the technicians that were working for me at the time. And I was looking to build an army. I think I got to about uh, 10 technicians just about and things were looking really good and very positive. It could it, it could potentially turn around to a million dollars once I'd covered all of uh, Australia. That was that was the potential on it. Yes, but um, once again, you were at the you were at the mercy of subcontractors, though, right? Yeah, exactly. So what happened was, um, by then I was really tired with Australia anyway, and I'd already knew about the potential lifestyle in Southeast Asia, in Vietnam. So I said, you know what, I'm going to give this one a go. And if it falls on its butt and it doesn't produce what I need it to produce, I'm going to take a break and then I'm going to go to Southeast Asia and I'm going to go and enjoy myself there. And then I can look at rebuilding something later because I just didn't have the time or the patience anymore. I'd been fighting back and forth for years and I was just, it was just getting too much. What was that last moment where you were at the mercy of somebody else, once again, under the control of somebody else's uh, ideas? What, was, what happened with the subcontractor? Well, of course, they cancelled the contract because they could see me as a threat. They thought, oh, we don't like what he's doing, you know. Maybe he's, make, he's looking at uh, culling our contractors and uh, getting them to work directly for him later on and maybe we'll lose a bunch of technicians. So they candid because I think I was too much of a threat. But you had a subcontractor royally screw you over. Yeah, but I mean, maybe it was due to my ignorance too. I mean, I was still pretty inexperienced. It was a new adventure. And you could say, yeah, you got screwed over, but it's just how business is. And I mean, yeah, of course it hurt and it was emotionally draining because the worst part about it was not that I had lost the contract is that I had to call all those guys up and they fired all of them. They didn't want any of the, of the technicians. They said, I said, fine. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll just leave. That's fine. But don't fire all the technicians. Just, just get them to sign a new contract with you directly. And I'll just leave quietly. That's fine. They don't deserve to lose their jobs and they actually lost their jobs. I don't know if they got rehired later on, but they just got rid of about 10 guys at the time. That was more devastating than me just saying, oh, well, f- it. that didn't work. Start again. <laughs> yeah, if I start a business again, it's just me, no problem. But I don't like the casualties out of it. And that, that hurt 
me a lot more the empathy I had for my workers because they didn't do anything wrong. Well, you've touched on two topics. Is one is taking accountability and responsibility for your own actions and having the empathy for uh, the workers that were going to be affected by it. I mean, those guys, I think, would have been all right. I mean, it's a, it's a story from a long time ago, but it just shows you um, the challenges that you can have, especially if you're onto something. Like, like it's the same with like uh, working for eBay, right? Because you're, you're under the, you're under the control dollars. of somebody else. You're under the control of something else, and 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 the great lesson here—it's taken me a while because it's quite a few years of 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 um, going back and forth. If you've got a company, make sure you've got your own website. Make sure you get your own contracts. You can easily lose a contract or lose some kind of income very quick. And even now, like with this recent uh, shutdown with the virus, I mean, we weren't able to teach for a couple of months. And I realized again, it's like, wow, look, governments come in now. This isn't like corporate people that don't want you in business anymore. Governments come in and said, sorry, schools are closed. And now you're not making money unless you've got some other types of incomes. So so again, it, there's so many different levels of where this can go wrong for you. So anyone that's listening, I would try to figure out a way to, to, to put some kind of uh, moat around your business. Do you know like a moat in a castle? You've got mm-hmm. a castle and you've got a moat around it? Yes. Some kind of uh, moat business would be ideal. Uh, there was a guy that I found on YouTube a little while ago and um, – he was saying like, look, whatever online business you've got, if someone can come in and just copy it really quickly, you better figure out a way to make yourself better than the competition. And he talks about putting a moat around your business, meaning that, you know, even if there's competition that comes along, you can still stand or even better yet, you're in a niche where no one's really in that niche. I mean, anyone can open a a Shopify store these days or an Amazon business or whatever and start selling something. And then someone else can come in and just like, kick you off so a lot of these businesses and these things that they're pushing on the internet they're not sustainable doesn't matter if it's network marketing or any other kind of thing like that where you're using someone else's platform you're you're at risk of losing it yes anytime that you're working under somebody else's system you can lose it all yes now it's very interesting that you bring that up because i was just thinking that with all this shutdown and stuff that happened, Amazon came out and they slashed their commissions to affiliate websites by 50%. So if Amazon had a, an okay payout system before, if you sent traffic to Amazon and someone bought through your link, you'd get commissions or whatever they buy. And that was always pretty good. But they've just actually halved that by 50% when people need money more than ever, if they can't go to their traditional jobs, if they've still got jobs or businesses. So your commissions on the internet have now been halved because Amazon's come in and said, nah, we're not doing that anymore. We're taking the money back and we're going to give you less. So imagine if you had like a bunch of websites pushing affiliate links for Amazon, you've just lost 50% of your return. And even worse, unless people are still buying stuff in your niche, that even if you do get sales, it's going to be probably a quarter or even a third of what you used to. So that brings us to another point in your story is that you've gone from your lowest point and I remember uh, coming home from my own painful job that just over broke job yes. and th- oh, all, yes, we yes. were actually living together the, all the lights were <laughs> Those off were the days. all the lights were off Those were the days. 
And all the lights were off at the house and I hear you talking and I'm thinking to myself, why are all the lights off? Except I saw a light which was coming from a mobile phone screen and it seemed to be moving. So I realized it was stuck to your ear and you seem to be in dark conversation and it told me a lot because you'd seemed so down and you just lost it all. And then when you got off the phone, you said, I'm out. I remember you just saying, I'm out. I'm out. I can't handle it anymore. I'm out. It to me was as though you were being forced out of Australia. Like every part of the universe was saying, go, you know, it was cutting off your access. It said, um, okay, we don't have a job for you anymore. Get out. And you said, no, I want to stay in Australia. I can have a relationship here. No, we're not going to have you having any opportunities in relationships. So they cut that off. And then you say, you know what? I want to keep going. I want to stay in. I'm looking for reasons to stay. My family's in Australia. And so you start this contracting business and then that screws you over. And it's as though the universe said, we don't have that for you anymore. Go. And just before that, you had the universe bring some person to you and say, teach English overseas. And how is, there is your out. And you said, I'm out. And you'd lost it all. You were very limited on funds. And you booked a flight to a country where you didn't speak the language. What was that like? Mm -hmm. What happened? So tell me about your first steps when you first entered that country what it was like having to set up, um, what, what were the fears around it, and uh, how did you navigate that, get work, find work, network, um, and then we'll go into that next phase. Oh, man, what a great question. Okay, so going back, when I arrived in Vietnam, I think it was around 2013, 2014, I got out of the airport, <laughs> it was raining heavily, they had oh, a major storm. My goodness. And I think it came... I think it came in from the Philippines. Philippines is known for monsoon, and it's not that far away from Vietnam if you look at the map. I got into a taxi, and there were just swarms and swarms of people on motorbikes honking their horns, just beep, 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 beep constantly all the way through the city. Uh, the taxi man didn't speak any English, uh, but I just gave him the address. He could read the Vietnamese address of the hotel where I was going to be staying as my first point of call. We get there to the hotel and literally as I get out of the hotel, I, I put my foot down on the street and it's just this massive splash of water and my whole like shoe and sock just like probably halfway up my leg got absolutely satur saturated as he was trying to get my gear out of the back of the taxi as it continued to pour heavily with rain. And then obviously walking up to the hotel, it wasn't like a five-star hotel because I was on a budget. It was a basic hotel, but just the streets were just flooded. I was absolutely amazed at how bad the flooding was with heavy rain. So I got to the, I got to the hotel and luckily enough, someone opened the door because I got in a little bit later in the day and uh, everything worked out fine. I got into my room and... I got into the shower because that's one of the first things I want to do when I get there. I want to have a shower. And you assume that a hotel is going to have towels, right? You would assume. I get into the shower. Yeah. It's the first hotel I've ever been in where there's no towels. So I'm like, where's the towels? Oh, my God. So anyways, I go back downstairs because there's no elevator in this hotel. It's just a traditional house, probably about eight levels. And uh, I, went to, I went to the lady. She spoke a bit of English because I got the contact through the education program where I was going to be studying, which I'll get to. 
and they recommended this hotel because it was close to the to the school to learn how to teach English as a second language. And uh, I said, "What's the deal? I can't see any towels. Can I have a towel, please? I want to have a shower." And they said, "Sorry, no towels." I'm like, "What? What do you mean, no towels?" And I say, "No towels. You go shop. You buy towel." <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to my life. Yeah, mm-hmm. but but to be fair, it's it, it was an adventure. I look back, I laugh on it now, and I wasn't that angry. It was just <laughs> Vietnamese are friendly, but when when there's something that's a bit inconvenient for them, they'll just very direct because their English is obviously not that good. I don't expect it to be. Why should they speak English? The the national language is Vietnamese. I should learn more Vietnamese, which I did. Like they're just very direct. If they don't think you can speak Vietnamese, they say, you'll, you'll go, go to shop. (laughs) So they come, they come across, they come across as a bit rude, but they're not rude. It's just, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a language thing. Getting onto it. Here's the next adventure. I uh, said, all right, fine. So I walk out on the street. It's getting dark. The lighting in the street isn't that good, but you know, it just looked dark and 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 dingy from from the rains. But so I ended up walking. I thought, well, I'll figure it out. I'll get some food somewhere, and if I see some lights, I'm sure there's a shopping mall. This is a big city. We'll find something. And uh, anyways, I ended up going and eating some food first, and then I kept walking for a bit. And then out of nowhere, a guy pulls up on a motorbike, and he's like, "Hello, hello, where you go?" And I'm like, uh, I want to go to a shopping center. I need to buy some towels. Okay, no problem. You hop on. I take you. But I really need to get to the shopping center. So I took a chance. I got on the guy's motorbike and he took me to a shopping center. And I was really happy about that. But before we got to the shopping center, he was trying to sell me on many things. I say, I want to go to the shops. Don't worry. Just take me to the shops. Uh-huh. No problem. He said, oh, okay, okay. So he takes me to the shops, he drops me off, and then he say, I wait here for you, you'll go. I say, okay, I didn't pay him yet either. So I get out and I get to the shopping mall, it's a nice big department store. It took a while to find the towels, but eventually I got to the towels. I had to, I think I, got, I, think I got showed him a picture on my phone. I said, hey, can, where are these? Where are these? And she's like, oh, okay. I don't think she knew the word towel. And then she showed me and then I got the, I got the towel. I bought a couple other things because I didn't have, I forgot to mention, they didn't have like uh, soap and body wash and all the stuff you need for the bathroom. So I bought razors. I, I basically did a bathroom shop the first night I was in in uh, Vietnam. And then I came back out and the guy was still there on the motorbike. I had two bags full of stuff and I said, okay, let's go back to the hotel. And the guy didn't want to take me back to the hotel. He wanted to take me to get a massage or he wanted to take me to karaoke or he wanted to take me to see a lady or beer or whatever he could do to keep me on the bike. So eventually I got a little bit angry at the guy. I said, look, man, just take me home. It's my first night here. I'm tired. And I don't think he could even understand that, right? But eventually I just said, just take me back to the hotel. Hotel, hotel, hotel. I just kept saying, hotel, hotel, hotel. And eventually he gave up and said, okay, I'll take you to the hotel. But I was just happy that I managed to get back into the into the hotel with my towels and everything I needed so I could actually get a, a, a decent shower and a shave. It was a very adventurous first night. That was my first night in Saigon. Didn't know a soul, didn't know anyone. That was how the first night went. I remember it like it was yesterday. So then the next day you went to the school? Next day I went to the school just to let them know that I was here, which was it. The sun came out. Um, the street was much better the next day. There was businesses open. There was a little bit of traffic. 
the smells of the food and everything was it was nice it was like wow the adventure begins i went up to the school just around the corner and paid the rest of my fees i think it was like it wasn't even that much i think it was like a thousand dollars for the course and uh, they were friendly their english was good i was very pleased that i could speak to someone that had english i got their details contact details and uh, met some other foreigners that were there. There were only four people on my course when I got here. It was fabulous. I'm like, yes, more for me. No one, no, hardly any foreigners here. And we've only got four new teachers coming on this course. You know, there was there was one American. There was a, a Vietnamese that was doing the course as well, whose English was excellent. And then there was also another lady from America as well, like fresh out of college. Which brings me to another point. And when we consider uh, entrepreneurialism, um, from Amazon, eBay, or working with a flooded market, you actually... Uh, oh, yeah. The more flooded a market becomes, the harder it is to survive. So if you were to try and take this same thing to a place such as um, Phuket, Thailand, or some place like that, you might find yourself really struggling, but now you're a rare commodity. So that really tells me a lot, that if you can provide a, a service as a rare commodity in a new market, then you can thrive. Absolutely. Yes, you can. Definitely. And that's how I'm looking at things in the future. I'm not going to get involved in any other careers or businesses unless they haven't got enough people. Because you're not a rare commodity. You're just one of yeah, many. Exactly. It's, it's you about, don't own the system. You're a part of the system. You're a part of the ecosystem there and they can shut you down at any time they don't like you. They can wilter down your profits, meaning that you can't survive day to day. It means that you need a plan B, plan C, plan D. And when you move yourself into a rare commodity market, such as what you did, you can thrive, meaning that you can then start setting the higher rates for yourself. You can say, well, if you want me to do this, then uh, yeah. I want to be earning this. So then tell me about your first day at school then. Yeah, so we're at the training school and they sent us out and we prepared a little bit of a lesson with our training. We arrive at the school, we get out of the taxi, group of teachers on the side of the street in Saigon, and I'm just sweating, man. Like, it is so hot. You know, I ended up over a period of time, I ended up losing like seven kilos and just sweating in the classroom. And I didn't change my diet or exercise. It was just getting used to the climate. So we get into the classroom and it's a high school uh, with uh, basic English. And we just start teaching, you know, we start interacting with the students. We start uh, putting questions on the board, getting them to speak to each other, asking each other the questions. Uh, listening to their answers, correcting any kind of pronunciation issues. But also at the same time, they're looking at you like um, they're very excited to see you because they haven't seen many foreigners at that point, right? So they're like, want to know what country you're from, teacher, where are you from, what's your full name, why'd you come to Vietnam, things like that. But not not fluent, but just in kind of broken English, right? But they're very curious about you. So it becomes a, a great exchange of uh, human interaction. And that's one of the best things about teaching in a culture that's foreign to your own is that you do get to experience what people are like in other countries. One of the best things about teaching in a classroom all the time is I'm not really afraid of public speaking anymore, but I would say in my younger years, that was difficult to do. It's actually one of the easiest jobs I've had, but at the same time, 
it can leave you quite tired at the end of the week, depending on how many hours that you do. It's it's different than sitting in a nice air conditioned office and working on your computer. So it does have its drawbacks in a hot in a hot country. But at the same time, it can be very, very rewarding as you work with students, especially if they become your students for a year, watching them where they started and where they finished at the end of the year, and then maybe seeing them again next year or not seeing them, and then seeing them a few years later, and you can hear that they're speaking a lot more fluent than when you first met them. So now you've got work, uh, you finished your course, and then you got work at your first school, is that right? Yeah, got work at my first school. I was working for a couple of different companies. Um, I was basically a yes guy because I needed money right away. I came here with limited funds. I only had a couple of thousand dollars. And um, so I worked at a language center at night and then I'd work at a school during the day. I'd work at a school in the afternoon. I just filled up my schedule as much as possible. And you can even work on the weekends here if you want. I just didn't really care how much I worked. I just wanted to build as much money as I could because I knew later on as I was saving, because it's a lot easier to save over here, that in another couple of years, I'll be fine. And then you met your lady. Yeah. Surprisingly, I met my wife. (laughs) I know you don't like that word. We ended up getting married, but I met my lady (laughs) at a school. I just have a dislike for the word wife or husband for that matter. Did you know in Russian, the word for husband is mush, meaning to me, it sounds very similar to mouse, mush and mush, mouse, husband. I don't like the word mouse, but that's just me. You like the word wife, so you go ahead and use the word wife. I prefer the word angel, sweetheart, darling. Like I've been thinking about it too. I don't really like it. It's just what's programmed in there. No, no, it's all right. I like it. So you say your wife. I mean, I think that's quite funny because it is a difference between us. And uh, and I think that um, polarity is hilarious. (laughs) Okay, cool. All right. Yeah. So obviously before she was my wife, she was my angel. She was my sweetheart. But I remember the day I met her, it was like, I don't want to say love at first sight because that sounds so corny and cheesy, but I would say it's definitely lust at first sight. You're like, even oh, my goodness. You don't look at a partner, a, a, um, a somebody that you're attracted to and say, oh, I want to get married to you. You want to walk in and you say, hey, girl, and you hear that, you know, Freak Me Baby <laughs> song playing in the background. Yeah, you got that whole, like, yeah. Uh huh. You see, she walks in the room, and yeah, girl, I wanna go get there. Mm. You're not thinking marriage at this point. You're just thinking, no, no. I wanna take you out on a date, girl. I'll treat you right. Yeah. <laughs> right. So then she's walked into the room, and um, you know, you had that automatic attraction. And this is a complete difference because you had that situation where you were in Australia and um, a lot of guys fail in their own country. And then the huge risk of losing everything, even if you do get into a relationship in your own country, it just makes it not an attractive option that is better to stay single. But here you are, you see yeah, this girl and you've got this situation where you got that girl, I want to take you out and show you a good time, right? <laughs> you want to show her that. And of course, <laughs> that's your new hero music, by the way, girl. <laughs> but of course you yeah, had that with her. Like... And what, what was your opening line to her? Do you even recall what the opening line was? Was it like, oh, Hi. You ready? You, you want to know what I said to her first? I want to know, man. Tell me. Tell me that good line. 
You ready? Here's the line. Go for it. Hi. I just said it. <laughs> hi. I said hi. And she's like, hi. How are you? I'm good. What's your name? Mm-hmm. And she told know. you a name? Yeah. No, I asked her. I said, what's your name? She said, I don't know. <laughs> she didn't know her own name, so you she was nervous too. No, you don't remember your name? You don't remember your name? Oh, sorry, I'm a bit shy. Uh, 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 where are you from? Uh, so I'm from Australia. I'm, I'm a new teacher here. I'm going to be teaching you uh, maybe your class today. Here's my schedule. I've got to go and see these. Can you help me with them? And she's like all kind of cute and shy and trying to help, but finding it hard to speak. She's a teacher's aide. No, no, she's a teacher herself. But the way it works in a lot of these schools at the time is that the foreign teacher will come to the school and they'll give you what's called a, a teacher assistant, a Vietnamese teacher assistant, where you'll come to their class. They have like their class where they stay with their class. And then every 45 minutes, you'll rotate from that class to the next class. So I ended up teaching a lot of different classes with different teacher assistants. And she was just one of them in the list that day that I would see uh, every week for the contract. So what happened yeah. then? How did you pluck up the uh, the cojones to go, I want to take you out on a date, girl. I want to show you a good time. <laughs> how did that come about? I, mean, I want to hear how that, uh, how that progressed because now you're in a completely opposite situation from your darkest moments in Australia. And I just want to see... Yeah. You know, the, these step-by-step components that other people can follow when they're in their own situation. And obviously they need to sure. um, they need to apply this to their own personal situation given their own personal restrictions. But there are ways to yeah. go about doing this, right, for every, anybody, sure. man or woman. Makes it a lot easier to communicate with someone if you know they already like the way you look. Okay. But I'd say that... It's a matter of knowing your own value as well, because in your own country, you felt like you've lost your all your value or you feel devalued by the market around you. And yeah. you're in a situation where you now are, once again, a rare commodity in a new market. Uh, it's like walking into... Um, if you're in America and you have a, uh, you went out to I don't know Texas and you had a very Australian ochre accent, you would be a a misnomer. You would be the center of attraction and the center of attention because people have never seen that before. So now you're a rare commodity, and when you can walk in and be a rare commodity in any market whatsoever, whether it's in relationships or career, you are going to thrive. I would highly recommend any guy that's not really having a good time in his own country to travel to other countries and date women in other countries. It doesn't necessarily have to be Southeast Asia. That was my poison. But you could go to like South America. Uh, you could go to um, uh, Europe, some parts of Europe, uh, probably the South Southeast European countries, places like uh, Czech Republic and Prague. I think you could do very well over there. If you're coming from a country like Australia or uh, America or any of the English-speaking countries as a first language. You know, some people don't want to date people from their own country. So you might find um, Australian women don't want to date necessarily Australian men, so they talk about an Italian man. And, um, yeah, of course. You, you know, so they talk about, I'd like to meet a guy from South America, from Peru, uh, that type of thing. So they've got their own poison as well. And quite often you might hear a situation where women will complain that men will go looking for love in 
um, parts of Asia, such as the Philippines or in Vietnam or yeah. Thailand or China. But, you know, women in their own country have their own poison because they talk about and the Italian man. They talk about the man from South America with the olive skin. Whereas in your situation, you didn't go over looking for love. You went over to reset. And so your intention yeah. was not relationship. So your intention no. was to build your own life. And that's the thing that I really want to um, focus in on with Explore Life. Life is intention going in with good intention if your intention was to go over and play um, and you know find multiple relationships uh, you would probably find yourself getting into a lot of trouble spending all your money and going home with your tail between your legs because you've got no more money left because if you tried to play the game in a country you really don't know you're probably going to find yourself getting played to be fair I don't know if marriage is really good for every guy that I, I, I interact with some guys are better off not i mean it's okay to have a long-term girlfriend partner whatever but some some guys they're just not wired that way you know they're, Women as well. they're, 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 they're not in, wired in, that in way. a different mindset mm-hmm. well for me i i personally wanted to experience everything i try everything i'll only get married once i'll tell you that for the record i'll only marry once i won't do it again so then you have to try Definitely, and sell but... each other into the relationship so you've got to sell her she's got to sell herself to you um and that that first date uh, did you establish a connection or how long did it take before you realized that, hey, or did you just find yourself falling into a relationship accidentally like, oh, how did I get here? It was all pretty much planned, but it was just such an easy dance with my lady. Like, like we, we were just great from, from day one. I mean, we had a couple of dates before, you know, a boyfriend and girlfriend having great times, just me and her traveling around on the motorbike and trying all kinds of different foods and just having a good time together you know we never really argued we never really had any fights or anything you know it was just wonderful and she was very honest with me early on that she would like to get married and maybe be a mother one day and i said well we'll see how we go we'll just slow down and we'll we'll figure it out along the way but as time went on you know things just kept getting better so i thought you got to do it now you've got this intention where your was not about relationships it was about building from scratch and you've gone over to start all over again you've kept your mind focused on the task at hand and then situation seems to seem to flow at you now because you've got the right intent to start again, to build a new career. And then new people start coming into your life, including a a great woman who had good intent and was quite open and honest with you about what she wanted, giving you every opportunity to leave, really. If she said to you early on, I want marriage, I want a child, and you said, I don't want that, you could end it, she could end it, and you would both be friends, but you stayed open and you said, okay, I respect that. And then you moved forward and um, eventually got married. That's right. Oh, <laughs> was that a fear? <laughs> well, what kind of fear goes through your mind as a man within that situation? Like, Because that's quite a sales pitch for somebody to sell you on giving up their entire life. To be fair, like things are good, so why stop something that's going well you know just keep building on it the the um scary thing then as a man is having a child true it's not it's not that it's scary but if things are still good and i mean sometimes people change after which she hasn't she's she hasn't changed at all even after our first daughter or our daughter that was born you had to be the right guy for her too i didn't have the fear i didn't have the fear because i thought you know this is fine. No worries. And what's great about a first child, here's what's great about a first child, is it's a great test. 
right? This is like a new adventure. How's it going to work out? Of course, your life changes. You don't have as much time as you had before. What has um, been a bit of a theory of mine is that generally speaking, so I can't, obviously I'm not talking for all men because some men are just that clucky, whatever the male version of clucky is. But most men don't want babies. And so that needs to be sold to them some way or another. And Absolutely. it's like soft selling you into it. So the first part is the, you know, the loving relationship and showing you how good things could be. Um, then you find yourself, whoops, I get married. How did that happen? And still there's that part of every man that says, but if I give up my freedom of having a baby, then I lose everything to that baby. How are you going to sell that to me? And it's a sales pitch because if you consider from a male perspective, a woman at some point will stop working. And for me, you know, you don't want them to work. So you should be teaching your own children your morals and values as opposed to having a childcare worker do it. So you don't want your uh, your your partner working during that time. So it is a huge sales pitch to say, I'm going to finance this entire project, meaning that uh, you will not work, you will stay at home, you will raise our child, I will go to work, I will navigate all of the traffic each and every day, I'll, I'll, I'll come home, I'll bring home all of the money, I will pay all of the bills, and you've got to be happy with it. Yeah, that's absolutely right. So then what did you notice the difference between being um, single and or being in a relationship and now having a child as a man what have you noticed uh i think for me number one is time not as much time as i used to have so i have a tendency to get up early before my family's up just to get things done that i won't be able to get done once she wants to play with daddy i would also say like different sores in your body like like muscle sores because you're picking up a weight all the time you know you got to hold the baby baby's like nearly 10 kilos now so you got you know, muscle tensions in your legs. So you need to go and get more massages, which is good in Asia. So if we look forward then uh, to our current situation of coronavirus and the next steps, when you were teaching and the suddenly the teaching was taken away from you, meaning that your income was just stopped, did you have a few realizations? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. I had a few realizations, but I already knew the realizations, but it was a good reminder, like, hey, even if you're working a job, government can come in and shut you down. So it's very important to keep working on another stream of income. You've got to have multiple streams. doesn't matter how long or hard it takes, but, you know, after becoming a father too, it's even more important. You've got to make sure you've got some kind of hustle. doesn't matter what it is, as long as it's legal. Um, you're going to have to have some kind of extra income. Have you noticed a difference in your attitude towards life in general from where you were failing to where you are today? I think one of the things is when you're younger, you care a lot more, right? You care a lot more. You, you want to do good things. You, it's easy to get emotional about stuff when it doesn't work out because you don't have life experience yet. But as an, as an older person now, just because I've experienced life a bit more, I don't worry about things like I used to. Things that, that, that would maybe worry one person doesn't worry me so much anymore. I just, you know, like I, I could drive my motorbike to work tomorrow and I could get smashed by a truck, taken out dead and gone. That's a real risk over here. Mm-hmm. And it used to scare the shit out of me, to be honest. The biggest fear really is death. Can you can you handle death? And I mean, most I don't want to die, but I'm just saying sometimes things happen and then, you know, you're out of the game. 
So if I start from there and then I work back, I said, nothing's as bad as that. That's really bad that that happened. That's the worst thing that could happen. So if anything, anything is less than that, then try not to worry about it too much. I mean, I can't even remember the last time I got nervous in a job. I mean, it's, it's just fabulous. I'm left alone. I'm not micromanaged. If we look at um, some points that you've just made there is one to, you can't just expect to find the right partner or the right person if you aren't working on yourself to be the right person yes. that they would want to be with. But that also goes with career too, because if you're not the type of person that can be trusted, then you're going to constantly find yourself micromanaged. You'll find yourself not getting the same opportunities as somebody who is in a similar position than you, but has worked on themselves um, a lot more and seems to be a lot more reliable, a lot more trustworthy and a lot more driven in life. Um, perception equals reality because if you're not working on yourself, you can be perceived as uh, the guy that uh, is not to be trusted. Yeah, you've got to come from a place of wholeness. Mm. And that's difficult if you're not a confident person. You know, like to ask someone to go in and do some inner work, there's stuff that no one wants to do, but they need to do. Otherwise, they're just going to keep repeating history. So the next step for you is to make sure that you've got your second and third income streams and that you can take an adventure outside of Vietnam, do you think? Yeah, well, we've actually already been considering going to other countries. We're considering South American countries. We're thinking about European countries because there's work in every one of these countries. Um, yeah, the current events with uh, the shutdown around the world and corona should eventually pass. Things get back to some kind of normal where it's, it's not a pain in the butt to travel through airports and stuff like that. Then we will consider relocating. Uh, my daughter will have a, a, a world education. We probably I'm not sure if we'll stay in Vietnam. There's a high probability that we'll still be here, but there's also a high probability that like my career will take a change through business opportunities we may end up somewhere else, but uh, I'm just trying to keep it open until I get something that I really want. I'm only going to make big changes if it's something that I really want uh, because I am still on a good thing here and I've got to always be thankful for the opportunity here in Vietnam. And there is opportunity to grow businesses and stuff here too. Like my lady, she's got lots of plans, um, but we just got to wait till our daughter grows up a little bit more and goes into school. So then that frees up her time a bit. So being thankful for what you've got. So living in the now, thinking about the future yeah. and the next steps, and then making sure that your daughter is better than the generation before. She'll have two languages behind her, two passports behind her, better education, better way to communicate with other people, and more worldly than you were growing up and I was growing up. Yeah, absolutely. Like when I think about it, I would never want to travel when we were younger. But as you get older, you know, it, things get easier. But for her, it'll be a natural thing because she grew up traveling. So that's one of my rules for life is to make sure that the next generation is better than the generation before, both in ethics and in career and in open opportunities. That's what we all want. There's a, there's a path to it, man. I think you've um, you've really gotten a lot of the way that a lot of people haven't, and hopefully they take a lot away from um, our chat. Absolutely, man. And uh, I look forward to doing more of this stuff with you in the future, and perhaps I can have you on some of my stuff too. Will do. And just remember, yay. Don't forget the good times. <laughs>
<laughs> yes, I'm looking forward to another party in Saigon. It's been too long. Thank you so much for your time and uh, until the next one. All right, man. All the best to you. Well, I hope you enjoyed the very first episode of Explore Life. Yes, you might have just one life, but you have limitless stories. And what you do from here is entirely up to you. Create a brand new adventure. If you really enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. If you'd like to see more video content, go to YouTube and look up Explore Life Films and then click subscribe. My name is Greg Dean and you have been listening to Explore Life.